Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Leaving Eden podcast. My name is Gabrielle Hakoen and I am here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter. And we are here to talk about Sadie's life in the independent fundamental Baptist cult. But today, we're here to talk about cheese. Isn't that right? We are here to talk about large quantities of cheese. What did we do today? What did we do this morning? So this morning, uh, this has been a weird day for me. I I got up and I watched Shrek because you know, I had the homework that you gave me on the last episode. And I, I like to do the homework that you send me kind of in the hours right before we record so I can have it fresh on my mind. You're a procrastinator. That's what you're basically telling us. You're a procrastinator. No, I'm saying that I plan. No, no, you're just like me in college. Like, How dare you imply such a thing? I plan to do it on purpose with the clock ticking right before we record. Okay, well. <laughs> so any, anyway, I watch Shrek and then I get a text from you asking me if I would have any use for six pounds of mozzarella cheese. Because I was on Reddit this morning. I was surfing Reddit this morning and somebody in the Portland subreddit posted, I have a six pound block of mozzarella cheese. Does anybody want it? So naturally, I figured Sadie cooks Midwestern food. She might need <laughs> six pounds of cheese for something. So, so <laughs> and, you texted me and you were like, do you want to go get this cheese? And I was like, sure, like tomorrow because we got to record today. <laughs> No, I was like, no, we're we're doing it now. And you're like, no, now. And I was like, okay. So we got in the car. We went up. Uh, we went over to a place in Portland. If you know Portland, we live over in like on like the west side. Over like I live in in northwest. She lives like slightly south of in southwest Portland. So yeah, I'm tech. I'm in southwest by like 500 feet. 
we had to drive all the way up. It was like, it's like seven miles to like this place up in like basically almost like the, the border with Washington. Up in suburbia. Yeah. Up in like suburbia strip mall area. And then and then we get this six pound block of cheese and then we walk in and we're just like hey we're here about the cheese and this like no one else is there because it's coronavirus you know right we're still in corona world to an extent yeah and this guy gives us six pounds of cheese and then we leave and then here we are (laughs) that was like an hour ago yeah so oh by the way uh dude who gave us cheese if you end up listening to this thanks for the cheese yeah, she said she's going to make me lasagna, so... Yeah, I'm going to make you... I have to, to look up, like, how to make kosher lasagna, because I usually put sausage in it, but... Yeah. I'll look it up. I'll make you a lasagna. Yeah, I would love that. But speaking of coronavirus, um, you know, I think I've got some sort of idea now of what it is like to be in the IFB. What do you mean by that? I mean that thanks to coronavirus and the fears of infection, I've had to resort to contact-free dating. So, uh, so you've been doing contact th- free dating for like three months. Yeah. Okay. And months, I, yeah. and I did it for like six years. <laughs> you, you really do get my, you really do understand my struggle now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm basically like, aside from the repressive rules about everything else, I'm basically <laughs> IFB now. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Hope you, um, hope you, hope you survive. Yeah, I hope I do too. That sort of brings us to today's episode topic. We're here to talk about romance. We're here to talk about dating um, and the often austere rules that the IFB implements uh, on their members. And additionally, you know, because Sadie never got a chance to experience a lot of the a lot of the normal things that that people dating went through when they were young. You know, she's here to ask me about some of those things that I may or may not have experienced. So this is going to be a fun episode. My first question, though, for you, because we talked about this a little bit last episode, is what was dating like for you in high school? So dating was pretty non-existent for me in high school. Well, I mean, so what I hear from other people is that high school dates are like going to the movies or going out to go going to get food after school or you know think things that you need a car for um and things that you would you know would help if you were able to go to the movies so normal high school dating things aren't things that we did anyway but um generally ifb congregations and this is a place where they differ a little bit but generally dating when you're still in high school isn't forbidden but it's really highly discouraged uh, until you get to college. So I I wasn't allowed to formally date anybody until I went to college. I did really casually date somebody, and I'm going to call him Richard for the podcast, um, when I was in high school, but it wasn't super official, and it was also long distance. And what you, you said, you mentioned this last episode, that you were 16, and he was like, 20 or something 1920 yeah i was 16 and i think he had just turned 20 uh it's a little little hazy now that it's been so long but i i think i was 16 coming up on 17 like and even if you went on dates with somebody or if you went out with somebody it was always chaperoned right so um the the so richard uh and also my first serious boyfriend in college both of those guys we literally never touched never held hands never kissed nothing 
So instead of having, um, you know, since I was really discouraged from having boyfriends at all, uh, what we did almost universally to the IFP experience, um, what we did have was like camp and youth conference crushes. So I did go to summer camp. So I do know what it's like to have a camp crush because like, and that is, that is a spicy meatball right there yeah yeah was it like a big deal emotionally for you like it just felt very big oh absolutely especially when you're at camp you know i would go to camp for like two weeks in the summer and it would be like figure out who it's gonna be a like and that's like you got to do that within like the first 24 hours and then you gotta like plot out your steps because there's like a very specific number of days that you've got right it's a it's a high pressure and there's specific events so you've got to make it count like yeah and you definitely don't want to have the you know figure out halfway through camp that you've got the wrong camp crush that would suck so i went on uh quite a few out of town trips every year usually two and sometimes even three major conferences at first baptist of hammond and then I also went to Christian sleepaway camp in the summer for a week, which is if you've ever seen the movie or the documentary Jesus Camp, have you seen that? I have seen Jesus Camp. It was exactly like that. Wow. So you went to actual like Jesus Camp, Jesus I Camp. I went to real real deal. It was a, a different campground, but, but ex- almost exactly like that, just with IFB rules as well. Wow. That movie was creepy. So I'll tell you... Jesus Camp is the one documentary about cults or IFB or high pressure group behavior. I've seen a lot of documentaries about things in this realm. Jesus Camp is the only one I have not been able to make it through. That and and like I watched I watched Waco and I was fine. I've watched all of the 2020 coverage of First Baptist Church in Hammond. I've watched multiple documentaries about the specific group I grew up in and other other cults and high pressure. I've, I've watched it all. I've watched Leah Remini's wonderful Scientology series, Jesus Camp. That is the one I couldn't do. So Jesus Camp is actually just like 100% real. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything that I saw, I think I saw about half of it before I gave up. Okay, wow. that's. But it's that plus IFB rules. So that plus the long dresses and the no touching and... The preaching that's more, you know, being screamed at. Well, the wow. nice thing about camp, though, is that my my parents either weren't with me or if we were at one of those big conferences, they were busy. So that was a I had a little bit more independence. So you could go meet some boys. So I could go meet some boys and uh, sit across from each other at folding tables on folding chairs and eat camp food or conference food. Yeah, try to try to get um. I wasn't. I didn't You're have. You're making phone. me sweat right now. Just the... <laughs> I know. I know. It's spicy. <laughs> Not the food, of course. The food was never spicy. No, the food was made with six pounds of mozzarella cheese. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I couldn't um, I couldn't get a phone number because I didn't have a phone, and I couldn't get a like Facebook or Instagram because I didn't have Facebook or Instagram. So I would get people's email addresses and then you'd t- try to strike up a relationship. Professional. Yeah, quite. You get some link, you get your LinkedIn going. <laughs> so you try to like strike up a relationship through email, which for some reason never worked particularly well for me. Although Britney Spears did have that one song, Email My Heart. I don't know that one. Okay, well, you'll have to listen to it at some point. Um, oh, I'm sure I'll get there. 
you're 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 like flirting hard with these boys at the, this conference crush, right? So you're emailing back and forth. Yeah, talking about Jesus and asking you, you know, asking all the important questions like, "Are you going to be a pastor or an assistant pastor?" Ooh, assistant pastor is like that's like a no go. You need a boy with ambition. So I was looking actually, so at the time I wanted to be a teacher because that was like the smartest thing that, that women were allowed to do within the IFB. That was the most education that I'd be allowed to receive. That was kind of the highest, you know, if, if you, if you were a woman and you wanted to follow the IFB rules really closely, it would be discouraged for you to have a job outside the home unless it was a Christian school teacher. So I was angling for that, like independence and that higher level of education. So honestly, I was looking for guys who either wanted to also be teachers or wanted to be Christian school teachers or um, Christian school principals, assistant pastors, because that would fit with kind of where I was going. Well, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. And also I had seen my mom be a pastor's wife and my mom is beautiful and graceful and such a lovely human being. And she pulled it off really well, but I had seen everything that she had done behind the scenes and how hard that particular position is. No, I did not want that for myself. Takes a toll on somebody. So yeah, I was out flirting with all the assistant pastor boys though. (laughs) You find yourself a nice assistant pastor boy. You love Jesus and you think he might be sweet on you. So uh, you guys go on a date. What's What date are you going on? What's going to happen? So the first actually and only dates that I went on during high school, um, usually a date would be sitting with somebody in church at one of these conferences. And like, you'd, it was really, it was really a thing. You know, you'd go, you'd find them, you'd sit next to them. Uh, if you were cold, they'd give you your, their suit jacket, which was another big deal. It's like letting your girlfriend wear your Letterman sweatshirt. Yeah, it's it's a, it's the same concept, just translated into Baptist. <laughs> and then if you were if you were really really wanting to get spicy, you know what you might do during that sermon. You might touch legs. No, oh no, you wouldn't touch. You might share a Bible though read the verses out of the same one. So my actual first sort of date in high school was the night before the infamous uh, Jack Scott polished shaft sermon. So the polished shaft sermon is something that we're going to get into later. In in gory detail. Yes. And and be prepared. It's it's a doozy. And disturbing. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I felt so bad the first time I made you watch that. I was so confused. <laughs> My first actually. <laughs> <laughs> but actually. <laughs> well, I was too. I was there. Anyway, my first day was actually the night before that infamous sermon. So it was a youth conference, First Baptist Hammond. And uh, on the last night, so I think on Thursday night, if the if the conference ended on Friday, on Thursday night, you would all, everybody would go out to the Hiles Anderson College campus. And it was basically an advertisement for Hiles Anderson to try to make the college look great and try to get you to come there. They'd have vendors with these snow cones and food. They'd feed everybody pizza. They'd have um, musical performances from like the college tour groups. And then they'd have fireworks at the end. Wow. Yeah, it was a, it was a really big deal. And uh, I went to that kind of event with Richard. And then the next day, 
we got permission from my dad <laughs> to sit together in the last, you know, the last session of the conference. And that last session of the conference is when the Paula Schaff sermon went down. I can only imagine that following that that sermon was a deeply erotic atmosphere. It was really, it was really something. I'll talk a little bit more, I think, about my perceptions of it when we talk about Jack Scott in detail. But I will say I was there for that. I was there. I was actually sitting with Richard's mother in another famously awkward Scott sermon that I thought was worse than Paula Schaff personally. I've been I've been pretty successful. I think I've gotten like two of the two out of three or three out of four deep research things you've asked for this week. That's like a C, you know. So uh, hey, <laughs> I'm doing my best here. So uh, so if if my work is a C, how about you take over? What, what was your first date like? My first date, okay. You know what? Okay, so my first date, my first date was when I was uh, summer camp, and I think this was either 2008 or 2009. I, uh, I, it was either 2008 or 2009 because, and it was 4th of July because I was at this summer camp um, and we were there during the 4th of July and we went to see the fireworks. And so we sat on the grass together to watch the fireworks. And that was really, that was really sweet. See, that does, that does sound sweet. Sounds like fireworks are a great first ever date option. Fireworks are a great first ever date option you know oh wait 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 i was 16 too so that would have been july of the year we were 16 yeah so we were on our so that would have been like the same time the same time i just realized that because we're the, we're the same age so that was the same july wow that is in completely different worlds yeah <laughs> wow that's a that's a neat coincidence and that was my first kiss there too was was that which oh at which the fireworks really sweet yeah so when was when was your first kiss because i know they didn't let you guys touch so my first kiss was actually i was a student at hiles anderson at the time believe it or not wow man you must have been like breaking all the rules <laughs> it was very sneaky yeah um I mean, at that point it was it was just like days before i left hiles anderson hiles anderson for the last time Right at the end of of um of 2013. Right, right at the right in May of 2013. So I was like almost almost done. I already knew I was leaving. I already knew I wasn't coming back. So the, if they kicked you out, there was nothing that. Right at that point, I was so past caring. I was just so so over it. <laughs> so uh, I had just started dating somebody. And we we knew that it was going to be long distance for a while. We knew that the, it was a huge personal life disaster in general. So like we knew it was it was like a time sensitive kind of situation. So we had had a sneaky kiss. I don't regret doing that. And and like breaking the rules was so fun. If it's that forbidden, that sounds like the hottest thing on like. It was a real mind trip. It was a real like, not to over dramatize, but it was an eye opening experience for me because it was, oh, I can directly break the rules and lightning didn't fall from the sky. It was uh, it was a, a real mind changing kind of world changing point of view shifting experience. The Lord didn't smite you. I did not get smitten um, by the Lord. I really, 
And I don't regret, like, I certainly don't regret kissing that person. I, I don't regret breaking the rules. I wish it could have been different. Like, I wish it could have been a less high pressure environment. Uh, I feel like that is just so much pressure to put on somebody. It's like, oh, here's your first kiss. By the way, this is a, a new person you just got in a relationship with. You've never kissed anybody before. They've never kissed anybody before. After this, you're not going to be able to see each other for who knows how long. Uh, and also, you're breaking the rules of the college that you've been brought up to to follow your entire life. And if you get caught, you're going to get expelled. It was like it was too much. Like that wasn't what I wanted for my first kiss. You know what? What, what I would have rather had was something a lot less pressure. So because like you guys couldn't dance, you guys could, you guys didn't have a prom in high school, of course. We didn't. And prom was like the number one thing I was obsessed with when I got the internet. Really? I remember being able to use a computer on my own with the internet for the first time when I was maybe 15 or 16. I might have, I might have been 15. And so you were just living vicariously through, through. Right. And my, my internet access was like pretty monitored. So I couldn't have gotten onto anything extreme but either either nobody noticed that i was reading a lot of like fashion and style like teen vogue and stuff either nobody real noticed that i was reading that or nobody cared and they just decided to let it slide the, the thing i wanted to read about more than anything else was prom i looked i spent hours shopping for prom dresses trying to imagine like what i would wear if i had a chance to go you know, it's like a little bit of a princess moment, you know? It's like a Cinderella. Yeah, it, it is. And that was like, that was what I was obsessed with. And I didn't care so much about like having a prom date. It My, my focus was like, I want a prom dress. <laughs> of course, because who doesn't want, who doesn't want to dress up nice and then like have photos taken of them and then just go out and have a great time dancing and partying, you know? Yeah, because friends. like. I'm not like a girly person in day-to-day life, but I am a person like I really, really like getting super dressed up and I just have a huge soft spot for giant poofy ball gowns. Of course. It's it's fun. So I actually really just love people telling me about their prom. So I'm just can I just ask you a few questions about yours? Absolutely. So when you went to prom, were prom posals a thing? Some people made a big deal out of it. I, I I didn't hear people calling it a promposal. Like at this time, this was um like 2011, right? So I graduated high school in 2011. So my prom was in May of 2011. At this time, smartphones weren't as ubiquitous. Like a lot of people had them, but not everyone did. And Instagram wasn't invented yet. Oh, most people weren't on Twitter. And so like if something was going to happen, it was going to happen on Facebook. So if like something was going to go viral, it would get shared a bunch of times on Facebook. But this was also when Facebook felt a bit more private. So mm-hmm. like people making the big deal on about promposals to go viral on social media wasn't really a thing. However, you know, I remember that there was like a couple times there was one kid who was on um, who was in like my civics class he wrote on like the board before class to ask like a a specific girl from the class to go with him and she said no and that was really embarrassing she she turned him down in front of the whole class yeah and you know what you are taking a big swing when you go public like when you do it in public that's a big swing if you do a big swing and then like you get turned down you either look like a total idiot or she kind of looks mean 
And that's not really a good a good look for anybody. See, that's exactly what I was saying. High pressure situations, not, not as fun as you think. Yeah, the girl that I went with was I was on the mock trial team with her. See, I was I was on the mock trial team because I was a big nerd. Um, I am so not surprised to find out that you were on the mock trial team. So this girl, I'm going to call her Shayna. Her dad was Israeli, and she was on the mock trial team with me, and. When it came time for like prom season, which, you know, second semester of senior year, mock trial had our team had basically I think this was like late February, early March. Our team had just come second place in state, which was like a big deal. So emotions were uh, flying pretty high. We had like a wrap up slash debrief meeting after the competition. And that was when I was like, okay, I finally got the nerve to ask Shane to go to the prom with me. You know, I had a little bit of something going for me because I was a senior. Um, and she, I think she was either a sophomore or a junior. Either way, she wasn't a senior. She uh, she was either one or two years uh, in school younger than me. Um, and the prom was seniors only. So I figured, you know what? She'd probably say yes because she wasn't going to go anyway. Um, so she might as well go with me. I went and I talked with my friend. I'm going to call her Elaine. Is that, wait a second, is Elaine, is that any way inspired by the Seinfeld character? Um, her hair looks a lot like Elaine's hair on Seinfeld. <laughs> And okay. yeah, so we went to we went to the QFC. QFC is like a, a grocery store. We went to the QFC after school and Elaine helped me pick out some flowers. And I think they were orange tulips and I, think orange, I can't remember. And so I put them in my backpack. You know, I wrapped a towel around the stem of them, put them in my backpack and like went to this meeting that was after school. And so towards the end, I like sneak outside of the classroom where this meeting is. I'm out there with the flowers and I send a, a text message to a friend who was inside. And I'm like, oh, could you send Shana outside? And so she came outside and she was like all confused. And she's like, why are they telling me to go outside the classroom? And so I'm out there. I give her the flowers and ask if she'll go to the prom with me. And she said yes. And then we hug and it was really sweet. That sounds yeah. like super, super adorable. Yeah, because, you know, it was all in private. You know, but it, like some people knew about it and they're like, oh, that'll that'll be sweet. Yeah. OK, like, I do want to go back to prom, though, to talk about like my favorite part of it. Uh, how big of a deal was it choosing the clothes for prom? Like, did you match? I, no, we didn't match because I feel like I felt like matching would have been too, you know, would have looked too chopped. I don't know. Like, I feel like matching would have been good if you were like a couple couple and we weren't like yeah you weren't like yeah dating or whatever she uh so she went with her friends to pick a dress but also like i didn't get to see the dress until the day of right so it, it was almost like going to shopping for a wedding dress so because i don't see i i was performing in singing groups in high school i was all in choir and stuff you know doing music yeah. and so i had been fitted for a tux before but I wasn't going to, uh, but like, I wasn't going to wear the same tux that I wore, you know, for performing because, you know, I'd worn that tux roughly like a hundred times over two wow. years. And so it was not in any condition to be a prom tux. Like, I don't know. Like I rarely wash that thing. That thing was disgusting. <laughs> you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. Like imagine like two years of teenage boy, like stank. Ugh. Oh, my goodness. My mom took me to the Mr. Formal to rent a tux. Um, and the tux was black, but it had a gray vest and a gray bow tie. Most importantly, I wore my Rush 2112 T-shirt under my tuxedo shirt. So, like... That's great. We get to, uh, you know, because we're all meeting up. Because we've got a limo. Like, me and 
her and I think six or so of our other friends or seven or eight or so of our other friends, we were meeting up at one of our friend's house and then we all got a limo together and then we were going to all go together. Um, and so like, I get, like, I get there. I think she was the last to arrive. No, I, I know she was the last to arrive. She comes in and like, she has this wine colored dress and I am so nervous, but she looked like, like she, she looked gorgeous. Like in my 18 year old mind, I was like, she is like the most beautiful thing in the entire world. And that was, that was really incredible. Um, you know, that was just a fun experience. It sounds like a movie, dude. It, you know what? It didn't feel like a movie. I did make spaghetti sauce though. You know, we had like a potluck dinner at my friend's house. So you all meet up at your friend's house. Yeah, we all met up at my friend's house. And we get in a house. limo. And we get in a limo and then we drive around town a bit and then we go to the dance. And the dance is like upstairs in like one of these warehouse buildings. I think it was somewhere in Northwest Portland. Oh, really? Uh, they didn't have it like in yeah. the school gym, like in the movies. No, 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 no. It was like at an actual venue. Did you did you go to uh, public school? Yeah, I went to so they, they, I, I, like the school paid for having an outside venue. Yeah, but we had to buy tickets. Oh, OK. So we had to buy tickets. And I think the tickets were like 22 bucks each. I don't remember how much the limo cost. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, because by the time my brother went to prom, I remember his tickets being expensive. Like, so, so my, my youngest brother is four years younger than us. We got out when he was about 16. So he got to do the last couple years at a, at a, a Christian high school, but not IFB in any way. But they, so you didn't have to pay because he was talking about tickets being like seventy five dollars or something. No, they weren't that much. They were like they were like twenty twenty two bucks. I want to say maybe it's because there were more students going that the price per head wasn't so high. Yeah, that's possible. I don't know why this matters to me except for the fact that I'm just fascinated by prom. Yeah. So so you get there and did your prom have a theme? Yes, it did. It I think it was a night to remember. So it was like Titanic themed. And I think, I think that we, I remember that we slow danced to My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion, which is one of the greatest songs ever, ever. I can get with that. So other than, um, other than My Heart Will Go On, what else did they, what else was on the DJ list? Well, it was, it was 2011. So they played Dynamite by Tayo Cruz. You, I remember that song specifically. Um, Oh yeah, I, I heard that song a lot. There was also like a lot of Lady Gaga, um, cause after all it was 2011 and that was also like the year after Michael Jackson had died or like I, less than two years after Michael Jackson had died. So the playlist was very MJ heavy. Um, and I got to like very poorly moonwalk and I don't think that really <laughs> impressed anybody, but I tried and I wasn't very good at it. So, so was that moonwalk in any way inspired by like the, the movie trope of somebody dumping indiscriminate amounts of alcohol in the punch? Was that a thing? No, because I think that if you were cool, you got to drink beforehand. And yeah, I because I think we had wine with dinner. And yeah. then afterwards, we all went to my friend. I'm going to call her Samantha. We went to my friend Samantha's house and we all stayed there overnight afterwards. And we had champagne there, which was... See, that sounds like so moderate because what I've seen portrayed in movies, um, like I'm specifically thinking about, uh, I watched the... The Hulu series eleven twenty two sixty three. I haven't seen that. It's okay. The book is way better. I'll loan you the book. Um, but the um, the high school 
prom in that series some boys just come by with flasks and they just pour it's like one dude has gin and one dude has vodka and one dude has brandy and they don't think about how this is gonna mix they just dump all of whatever they have in the punch that sounds vile but that sounds like some stuff we would have drank in high school though <laughs> we had zero taste yeah it also sounds like high schoolers idea of a good idea it also sounds like something that would really mess you up faster than you think it will if you're a kid and you're not used to drinking. People were maybe a bit more conscientious than that. And also, so, like, they low-key searched us on the way in to be like, oh, do you have um, alcohol on you? And we're like, no. I think I might have gotten patted down, but I don't think so. But I know that girls probably stored stored booze in their boobs in their dress, so... Yeah, or in the little purse or whatever. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I don't know. I don't I don't know about that. I can't remember that specifically. I can't remember if they if they searched us at all. Yeah. Well that sounds like so it sounds like to me it was it was almost like the real life version of what they show in movies. Like it wasn't the same, but it was like the, the good real life version of that. I I really enjoyed myself. I had a good time. And I think most like most or all of my friends did too. Well, that, that sounds really sweet. Uh, what we had, so I didn't have that in, in high school. What I had in college that was similar to prom is called the Valentine Banquet. The Valentine Banquet. That sounds fun. I'm going to tell you about it like in just a second. But I think we are going to talk a little bit about college dating first. What was dating for you like in college? We, we read some of the dating rules for Hiles Anderson College earlier in the podcast. Yeah. And there were, in addition to those rules, um, lots of people have probably heard of the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. I haven't heard of this book, but really, please tell me about it. So it is a book. It was written by a guy who was uh, 21 at the time. Josh Harris is his name. Wait, a 21-year-old wrote a book on dating? Already, that's a red flag, right? Well, he wasn't married. <laughs> he also was like not engaged, not married, and had very little personal experience either. This sounds like a an incel's guide to women. Like, is you know, is... <laughs> it's not that far off from that concept. So, so Josh Harris was like a. He's actually from Portland, um, and I think he still lives in the area. I really want to talk to him. Is he still fundamentalist? No. And that's where this becomes like an interesting story. So I Kiss Dating Goodbye is a courtship manual. And it talks about basically his his premise at the time that he wrote this when he was 21 was that dating is just practicing heartbreak. So you date and then you break up and your heart's broken and you date and then you break up and then your heart's broken. So it his premise at the time he wrote the book was that dating multiple people would it's like practicing divorce. So when you do get married, you're going to do what you've practiced. You're going to be happy for a while and then you're going to break up. That's that doesn't make any sense, but okay. Well, that's what he thought was the smartest thing. Like having being, having been raised, you know, evangelical and being 21, you know, 21 year old people are notorious. (laughs) Yes. for thinking they know everything and not having a great grasp on reality. So he wrote this book and it revived the courtship movement in the United States. Literally this. So when did he write this book? When did this come out? Oh, you know what? I don't know. Let me check so I don't get it wrong. So it was published in January of 1997. And this, um, this book 
influenced. There were people doing courtship in the United States before this book came out, but this made it really popular. And this book also was in in a large part responsible for the popularity of purity rings when I was in when I was in high school. When I was in college. I've heard of purity rings. <laughs> I had one. It was a uh, silver, and my parents got it for me. It wasn't a big, like, ceremonial thing or anything. My parents are pretty chill. It wasn't a big, like, ceremony. They didn't make me sign a pledge or anything. But they did get me a purity ring when I was 15 or 16. It was a um, silver ring with a purple stone, an amethyst stone in the shape of a heart. That sounds pretty. I thought it was really pretty. I still have it. I wore it every day from... From when I got it until I was probably around the time I left Tiles Anderson. What finger did it go on? I wore it on the like the wedding finger, but on my right hand. Uh, lots of people that wear purity rings wear it on the the third finger of their left hand, where their wedding ring will eventually go. the The doctrine behind that gets a little fuzzy. In practice, what it boils down to is. The idea that you are already married to your future spouse uh, before even you meet them or before you get married to them. So the idea is that once you're married, that person has some degree of ownership over your body. And it's not uh, particularly sexist. It's actually both ways. It's, you know, the husband owns part of the wife and the wife owns part of the husband. So the idea is that anything you do before you're married is still cheating on your future spouse who you haven't met yet. So that's very Calvinist predestination. Yes. From people who are anti-Calvinist, it is rather Calvinistic. Yeah. So the the dating manual, however, that I was a lot more familiar with was by Jack Scop again. The man who really enjoys polishing his shaft. <laughs> I'm sure he does now. He's in jail. Specifically, he's in jail for a violation of the Man Act. And he is, uh, looks like he's going to be in jail for quite a while longer. We will eventually tell you why this is a source of personal joy for me. <laughs> anyway, Paula Shaft Man, uh, sex criminal Jack Scott, wrote a book called Dating with a Purpose. And uh, everybody read it. I read it probably 10 times as a teenager, early college student. Man, all I wanted to do when I was, when, you know, when I was a teenager... All I wanted to do was go to Hiles Anderson, do Hiles Anderson approved dating, not hold hands, not kiss, just meet a boy and get married. That was like the the dream, man. So reading this book is like a fantasy for you. Right. Like, like I would read this over fiction. I would. And that's, you know, I so um, I told you I did find a copy of Dating with a Purpose on Amazon and it was really inexpensive. So I went ahead and bought it. <laughs> Which I am just, I'm just thrilled to have that for archival purposes. So, so what sort of stuff is in it? Well, it's not here. And I want you to know, this is what I can remember off the top of my head. At some point, like, we'll, we'll go into greater detail. We'll do a dramatic reading. Um, So dating with a purpose, otherwise known as dating with a porpoise, because that's just what we called it. We thought it was funny. I don't know. You make, you make puns because... You can't make dirty jokes. Yes, very much. So here's some here's some advice from dating with a purpose. Excuse me, purpose. So um, force of habit. 
Yes. <laughs> so number number one is keep your weight down to attract a man. From what you've told me, the sin of lust is one that is like lambasted. Like yeah. lusting after somebody is highly, highly, highly frowned upon. Like unless you're literally on your wedding day. And even if it's like on your wedding day, but like you haven't had the blessing yet, you haven't said I do yet, lusting after somebody is still a sin. Yeah. Shouldn't it be that like if you're pursuing a woman with the intention of marrying her, then under no circumstances should it be done from the point of view of sexual attraction. Yeah, that's what's preached. Then how does telling women to keep their weight down to attract a man make any sense? Or is this just one of those situations where they're like, yeah, well, men are inherently sinful and it's women's job to have to deal with that? That's that's it exactly. It's the idea of like in a perfect world or in a sinless world, um, none attraction wouldn't matter in any of this or lust wouldn't factor in. But because men are completely helpless at the hands of their instincts and their visual cues that control men, it's like men are controlled by that and it's not their fault in the IFB world. So women who are not controlled visually, it is women's job to manage and lead men into good behavior. Well, that's sexist. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, so is the the next piece of advice, which is don't wear colored stockings. Why? Are colored stockings not attractive? Scops, so, it was a, an analogy to try to say don't dress with the trends. Scott mentions a friend of his who almost broke up with his future wife because she was the first person in her friend group to jump on the trend of wearing uh, like bright colored hose. Really? Yeah. I mean, that's an analogy that's in the book. I can't prove whether it's, you know, actually happened or not. That strange. That's a weirdly high bar and also just like a bizarre preference and a really draconian punishment. So I think what you would want to understand is that a lot of these are Scop's personal preferences because he was by the time he wrote this book, he was in line to become the next pastor of First Baptist Church. Uh, Heil still was the pastor at the time, but he knew that he was being picked. He knew that he was going to be next in line. So he tells you that, you know, he tells you, you know, wear this and don't wear this. And he's enforcing his own preferences. I mean, that's the the common theory. Obviously, there's no way to, to prove what's going on in someone's heart. But the common theory is that he chooses to tell people what to wear in a way that's going to please him and make him you know, feel good or make him like what he sees walking around the halls of the college. I, and again, there's no way to prove that, but it's certainly what it looks like to me and to every other person who went to college there. So the other, uh, the other piece of clothing advice we get is to wear shoulder pads. So what is with this obsession with <laughs> shoulder pads? Like I don't I, know. We touched, okay. We touched on this last time and this just seems like such a bizarre fashion trend to be to just like glom onto and be like yes you need to wear shoulder if you're a woman you need to wear shoulder pads like so this is complete (sighs) speculation but i'll tell you why i think it's mentioned so jack scops now ex-wife cindy is a very petite lady she's maybe if i had to guess she's five two maybe a dress size four six she's she's very small very petite naturally Those Christian womanhood notes that I read you last time 
that you had the same shoulder pad discussion about, that class would have been taught by Cindy Scott. And the material for that class would have been directly approved by her husband, Jack Scott. And this book was written by Jack Scott. So it's all going back to him. And I can tell you for sure, we always saw Mrs. Scott in in shoulder pads and, and belts. So she had a really tiny waist. And I think she was, um, I don't want to say proud or vain, but she definitely knew how to dress for it. That was her look. And that was, I assume, what, what Scott found attractive. So he encouraged her to play it up. Um, she she had almost like a 40s movie star kind of, you know, large shoulder pads, large, shiny belt, like a very thick four inch kind of belt around her waist. Hmm. That was her signature look. Apparently, that's what he thought was attractive. And I think he encouraged her to push that look on herself and to push it on other people. And that he also pushed it in his book as well. The the other the other main piece of advice in dating with a porpoise is the idea that there are four stages of dating. So you've got like the first date and then you've got the I like you phase and then you've got the I love you phase and then you get engaged. So the book broke down like what activities are and aren't important or are are and aren't appropriate in each one of those different stages and it it almost it wrote a direct plan for how to date and fall in love the IFB way. So it became this thing where you followed the plan, you fell in love, you got married, you just followed this book. You don't even have to think about it. No, not at all. You just follow it. It's it's all written out for you. Date ideas, what pet names are appropriate at what stages, uh, what topics of conversation are appropriate at what stages. It's all in there. So you just kind of follow the plan. Uh, the The big cultural impact this had at Hiles Anderson was the whole I like you stage. So when you became officially boyfriend and girlfriend, you were not allowed to tell the person that you loved them because you should really only say that you love somebody as like a precursor to engagement. And I personally knew quite a few people at Hiles Anderson who chose not to do the I love you stage. They didn't say they loved the other person until they were ready to, to propose. So they would say, oh, I love you. Will you marry me? And that would be at the same time. So with the I like you thing, you're allowed to say I like you, but you aren't allowed to say I love you. So at Hiles Anderson, you will hear a ridiculous number of people hanging up the phone with, okay, yeah, babe. All right. I'll see you at church tonight. I like you. Bye. Because you can't say I love you. So you get real creative with I like you. And it it really, man, it gets gross after a while. Let me tell you. Oh, that's like that has the weird it has a weird like infantilizing effect you know what i'm saying like it's it's a yeah. weird like uh, i don't I, I like don't, i don't, I don't like that at all oh man <laughs> i'm sorry but like so at the point when you're getting engaged how much time have you actually spent alone with this person so that depends on how you define alone if you're following the rules 100 percent you have never been out of eyesight of other people together. So you might have been able to like take a walk in a park or something, but there's a chaperone or another couple 20 feet behind you. So you can have like a, a private conversation, but you can't be alone in a car. You've never been alone in a room with no one else in there. You've never touched or kissed. And the only private conversations you've had 
on the phone in a like a public place with other people nearby, but not overhearing uh, or like whispering in a crowded room. So you know a lot about that person in some ways because all you can do is talk and you talk for hours and hours and hours and hours. But you you know almost nothing about their private life other than what they've told you. Like it's hard to say you really know somebody deeply or intimately if you've never been there when they were brushing their teeth. Like aside from the genuine possibility that they could be mean or abusive, they could never shower. They could start every morning with a warm glass of Mountain Moo. What the heck is that? Mountain Moo is a drink that is equal parts Mountain Dew and milk. What? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. What? I knew I knew a guy in college. That's not a real thing. I knew a guy in that college is not, who, invent, who would drink Mountain Moo. It was like I reject. No, I reject. And he would the, drink it all the time, and he had me drink it once, and I'm just like, this is. I had like one sip, and I'm like, okay, this is pretty good. And then I tried to drink more, and I'm like, okay, this is the worst thing I've ever had in my entire no, life. No, I reject the idea that that has ever been done in the world. It has absolutely been done, and no. I, that cannot be real. I, I, <laughs> I reject your reality and substitute my own. I'm going back to the IFB now that I heard about that. That's what you're going to hell for. I didn't invent it. I didn't invent you it. You drank it. You're culpable. The sin is on you now. Good thing my people don't believe in hell. Oh my gosh. That's so gross legitimately like they could be the type of person who sleeps in jeans you just don't know yeah you're up you're absolutely right and like so i've known you for like a short time and you just knocked me out of my chair with whatever grossness <laughs> that was but like imagine if that was somebody that you were engaged to you get married you say i do and then you go off to your to your new home together and they pull the milk and mountain dew out of the refrigerator but no that's that's you know that's a little bit of a that's a great way to mess with somebody. If you're ever like going out with some, if you ever want to see how much somebody likes you. You know, actually, actually I have both of those things in my refrigerator. I should go see what my husband's up to. No, like it's just like how, you know, if I'm ever talking to a girl, if I'm ever on a date or something, you know, I'll tell like a knock, knock joke and see if she laughs at it. If she laughs at it, she likes me because knock, knock jokes are terrible. You exposed me to this knowledge. Is this payback for making you watch the polished shaft video? Is that what this is? Sure. Let's call it that. Okay. Okay. So um, I assume that dating was a little bit different in college for you than it was for me. Can we change the subject from from that, please? Yes. Okay. So thank you. So my freshman year. Okay, it's August of 2011, and I get to campus, and we have co-ed dorms, right? Would you maybe go in your dorm room and like one room is all boys and the other room is all girls, but they're all on the same dorm floor? Yeah. So that's what it would okay. be. So it would be, you'd have like two people living in the same room, but you know they wouldn't mix uh, genders. You only had two people in a dorm room? Yeah. Oh, that's so unfair. They weren't big, but they were, you know, some some yeah. rooms were, they had triples, but the triples were bigger. Yeah. I, I lived with the, I had, I had just one roommate sometimes, but most of my dorms, dorm rooms were three or four people. That's a they lot. They were tiny. Of course, in this situation, being an 18 year old boy, I wasn't trying to date anybody seriously. So you weren't looking for a wife to like be your be your wife when you go out to be a pastor. No, at at this point, I was still a music major, and I was like, "I'll write a song for you, baby," and that's 
botched my move. Um, but I think uh, second semester of freshman year is when I actually started like actually dating somebody, and that only lasted for a couple of months. But um, yeah, and then ju- so, but my junior year, junior year is when things really get wild because junior year rolls around, and Tinder has been invented, and everybody has. Oh it. wow! Yeah. So I don't know if you're listening, if you're listening to this now in like 2020 and you didn't get on dating apps in 2006 until like 2016, Tinder in 2013 and like 2014 on a college campus was something else. Like it was the wild, wild west. The thing was that like, cause everybody had it. So you could walk into any party. Like I could walk into, you could walk into any party and know who was into you and who wasn't because like you know, it was a small town and you seen everybody on there and you tried to, ma- and this was before like the algorithms were like, okay, we're going to move some people up and show them to everybody and move some people down and show them to nobody. You could walk into any party and know who was into you and who wasn't. So that's the story of being an early adopter with Tinder. Yes. And now like, of course, like they tried to make it into like an actual like dating, dating app now. And it's not the same as it like before it was just like, okay, let's go. You know, it's just, it just kind of struck me like, like that's really odd because, you know, we were talking about our first dates, quote unquote, happened like probably the same month, most likely. And they're both watching fireworks and like how that is so similar. And then dating in college, it is like I'm from a different planet. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't think our experiences could possibly be any more different. It's, it's just, it just kind of blew my mind because two years before college, we were having almost the same experience. But obviously, I didn't have any dating apps at college. All we really had was word of mouth and uh, college staff would try to set up, you know, good connections. So, you know, you'd have, well, especially like married college staff members. They're trying to be like Cher and Clueless. They're exactly trying to be like that. So hypothetically, you know, there are several staff couples at Hiles Anderson. So the the husband teaches Bible and the wife teaches cooking or the husband teaches English and the wife runs the business office or whatever. But no, so so staff members will, you know, the, the husband will meet a guy in his Bible class and he'll tell his wife and the wife will meet a girl who is at the post office or whatever. And then the husband and the wife will set them up on a date. So we had that no dating apps. Now, I think I think the only way to describe it is just highly ritualized. But trying to explain it, I feel like I sound like an anthropologist trying to describe a cultural ritual that you've never heard about before. It It does follow dating with a purpose, like practically to the letter. Between that and the rules in the handbook, there's very little wiggle room anyway. So there are the big deal things are college dating activities. So they'll provide at least four activities a year. They are heavily promoted in chapel. You're highly encouraged to find a date to these things, even to the point where so you usually have a harvest festival of some kind, Christmas lights in December, the Valentine banquet in February. And then generally there'll be one more thing towards the end of the school year. That's a college sponsored dating activity. It's to the point where I remember Jack Scott used to do this. He'd get in the pulpit and he'd say, all right, all men who don't have a date to Christmas lights yet stand up. So, you know, all the guys who didn't have a date to Christmas lights would stand up. 
And then he'd say, all ladies who don't have a date to Christmas lights stand up. And then he would pair them off like from the pulpit in front of everybody to set up where everybody had a date for this dating activity. What if you get paired up with somebody who you don't really like that much? I, I mean, I don't know. So my freshman year, I was exempted from going on that sort of thing because of uh, the particular scholarship thing that I did. I'll talk about that a different time. But by my sophomore year, I had a boyfriend, so I was always exempted from it. I don't really know what would have happened if you got sent with somebody you hated. That's embarrassing. It is super embarrassing. It's it's humiliating, and that is a very Jack Scott thing to do because he's reinforcing these people's connections to him by tying personal humiliation in front of the student body to the idea of dating. Mm. So he's reinforcing his connection and his control over people. That's all kinds of gross. So, I mean, it is, but the the activities were actually pretty fun. So I went on Christmas lights. I I went to Christmas lights. I went to downtown Chicago and Christmas lights is like somewhat less chaperoned, which is cool. So there's a chaperone on every bus that takes you down there. Of course there. So you, you don't have to go though. Like you don't have to have a college staff member with you on your date. As long as there are at least two couples together, you can kind of go off and do your own thing. So that was a very big deal to go on Christmas lights. Could you guys be like, okay, we're going to make a pact where like, I'll let you guys go off and like do your own thing. And you guys let us go off and do your own thing and like tell no one. Oh, I'm absolutely sure that many people did that. I was at the time I was still on the following rule side of things. So it wasn't wasn't me, but I'm a thousand percent sure that some people did that the other like really big activity that is similar to prom was the valentine banquet so for valentine banquet um everybody would wear formal dresses and tuxes or suits and we'd go to the college dining hall and the college dining hall would serve us on china instead of on paper plates or plastic or whatever and you'd have a quote-unquote fancy meal at the dining hall And uh, I'm sorry, but it was always just terrible. The one I remember was baked chicken and vegetables and mashed potatoes and like chocolate cake. That sounds pretty good. It would be good if it was cooked well, but everything was just not right. (laughs) And then we would all walk to the church or to the campus auditorium where we have chapel and they'd put on a Baptist, Baptist written, Baptist approved musical for us. So you got to do dinner and a show in, in fancy dresses and Valentine banquet was a really big deal. So I finally got to do like, you know, 1% of my prom fantasy. I did get some pretty dresses. And that's all you really want is the pictures. Yeah, the picture, the pictures and the dresses. Um, Oh, I have actually a scandalous story from my freshman year. Please tell it. So my freshman year, uh, I actually went to the Valentine's banquet twice with two different dates, which made a really, really big splash at the college. That's like from an episode of like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or something. <laughs> it actually was really great. So um, my first boyfriend who I talked about earlier, we had been talking, we had been flirting, but there was no activity. Like they, he hadn't you know, asked me out or anything. And it wasn't like I could ask him out because, duh, I'm a girl. Boys are supposed to ask you out. He was a little shy at the time. He's really sweet. He's just really sweet. But he wasn't ready to really ask me out. And I really, really wanted to go to the Valentine banquet. This other friend of mine had his girlfriend was in a different state. They were kind of like on again, off again, but 
they knew they were going to give it another try, but she wasn't there. She was in another state. So he and I decided we were going to go to the Valentine banquet together and just, just as friends, just have a good time. And that way we wouldn't get picked on from the pulpit by Jack's cop about not going with a, not with a date. So Morton had asked me <laughs> to go to the banquet with him just as friends. And it, they played it for two nights so that if you had to work one of the two nights or something, you could you could still go to the banquet with your date. Because it was a really, really, really big deal to go to the Valentine banquet. And so you went on two nights with two different guys. Well, so Morton had asked me to go with him on Friday and we were totally, we were going to do that. Fun, whatever, no big deal. He had already bought the tickets. We were already all set up. Super happy to like not have a date date, just go with friends. And then the other guy finally got off his ass and asked me <laughs> to go to the banquet. So I went with one guy on Friday, one guy on Saturday, caused a lot of gossip, uh, felt pretty, felt pretty cool. And that was uh, the biggest wave that I would, cause at the college until the next spring when I caused a bigger one. <laughs> that one was more like, yeah, mad respect than like um than being condemned for it. I think most people just thought it was funny that I pulled it off. When you get in this situation though, where dating is just so highly ritualized, does it affect like how you actually feel attraction for somebody? Like I know we talked last time about having better standing in the eyes of the administration also helped your dating prospects. What was it about somebody that was going to make them more eligible for you? So I think, like I said earlier, you were primarily looking for someone who had the same life goals as you. If you were called to be a missionary, you first and foremost had to find someone who was also called to be a missionary. That was not negotiable. So if you already have said and feel like God's calling you to be a missionary, too bad, so sad. You can't date somebody who wants to be a pastor in in the United States. So that's uh, thinning the herd a bit. So you got that. And then you've got to find somebody who is, quote unquote, on on fire for God. So somebody who's enthusiastic about soul winning, somebody who is enthusiastic about doing God's will, somebody who always goes down and prays at the altar during the invitation. If you're not enthusiastic about those things, or if you have really bad soul winning numbers, or if you don't bring a lot of people to church, that could very quickly make you undateable to the higher class of students who were charismatic and good at those things. You know what that reminds me of though? This reminds me of the, like the, what is it in China? They have like a social credit score or something. It, I mean, it is, it, it is exactly like that uh, class, like class as a, you know, internal, just within Hiles Anderson, there was a very distinct, very defined class system. And, uh, you were to date within your class. And it was very, very unusual for somebody to date somebody outside of that social class that they were in. So how many how many classes were there? It was like the top, top, top is like your your firebrand preacher boys, right? Yeah. So if you have if you have that and then you have like you have like a, a second group, which is where I would have fallen most of the time at Hiles Anderson, where you are um you know, you're reasonably following following along with everything. You're you're trying. You're doing a pretty good job of projecting your Christian works to other people. You just don't care enough to go to that level, <laughs> uh, or uh, or you're like me. Like I was pretty sold out. Uh, is sold out is the word that they the phrase that they use to describe being hundred percent in. So I was I was in that space my freshman year, uh, but I was not. I didn't fall in line with the IFB ideas of beauty or fashion. You didn't wear shoulder pads. 
I didn't. I wasn't. I also wasn't thin enough. And beauty is beauty is a cultural thing. The things that are valued as being very physically beautiful at Hiles Anderson are not the same as they are in uh, other places. And I was not considered pretty. That's got a way on you. I don't know. I, I don't remember it bothering me that badly because I was still in the, you know, I was still in the mindset of God is going to send me the perfect person. Huh. Okay. So I wasn't, I wasn't too in my head about it. It was just a fact of life for me. Um, it did, it gets me down, you know, it would, it would make me sad sometimes just like anybody else. But like, I don't think I felt any less pretty than, I don't think I struggled with it any more than, than I do now. Just having my bad days of, yeah, I just don't feel pretty today. I think I, I, you know, it didn't really upset me, but anyway, um, that kind of put me in like a second class of students who were like almost primo, but not quite primo. Also, if my dad had had a bigger church or been more well-known that could have bumped me up to that top class. You've got like a third class of um, people who are seen as less intelligent. Sometimes these are people who just did not get a very good education and don't do well in classes. People who are lazy, but not rebellious would fall in, in that category. People who just don't mesh well with the rules at Hiles Anderson and, and struggle to keep up with the rules. Yeah. And then you've got the rebellious kids that nobody would want to, to date except for other rebellious kids. That's a very hard line. You know, I went into Hiles Anderson, like hovering between the first and the second classes and kind of moving around. And then my last semester, I all of a sudden dropped to the bottom. So that was a big, that was a big thing. And so you were you were only able to like date the the other kids in the rebellious classes. Right. Well, the, that's the thing. My fall from grace was caused by dating somebody who was also on their way falling from down on the fall from grace. So it was kind of a joint effort. As far as, you know, dating at Hiles Anderson, you're looking for somebody with the same life goals, you're looking for somebody in the same social class, you're looking for somebody who's a good soul winner, and attraction is way down the list of things that you consider or things that you're supposed to want or consider. You know, you're told over and over the point of dating is to get married and the fewer people you date before you find the one, the better. Yeah, attraction's a thing, but you're you're taught to kind of ignore it or to think of it last. In my own experience, I was always taught that men are visual creatures and women feel attracted or feel attraction when they are provided for and given security. Well, you know, it's the it's the old like 50s saying, you know, men are, what is it? Women are a crockpot, men are a microwave. I've never heard of that, but okay. The, the idea is like uh, a man can be turned on very quickly by visual things or like physical attraction, just like boom, like a microwave heats stuff up really fast. And women are more like a crockpot, like it takes security and being provided for and being treated right over a long period of time for women to feel attraction. So that's what I was taught. And I was taught that a lot of times women don't feel attraction or don't feel much behind. Oh, yeah, that guy's good looking until they're married and have a husband who provides for them. And then God allows them to feel attraction to their husband so they can have a physical relationship. So that's kind of what I expected. I knew I knew that I thought some of the boys were handsome, but I didn't connect that to like, oh, I am experiencing sexual attraction for that tall blonde guy over there. I didn't know that was what it was because I had never been made aware that I was capable of feeling sexual attraction. So I thought like, oh, that's just how I feel when somebody is pretty. So the, the, to compound it all, <laughs> I'm sorry, did you have a question? No, no, keep going. That's interesting. So, 
So like compound this all and make it even more complicated. A few years down the line, I found out like, oh, I am capable of feeling visual and physical attraction to people. So I I found that out because it dawned on me. And then directly on the heels of that giant revelation, I immediately realized that all the times that I've been, you know, staring at girls across the room and thinking, because I didn't know I could feel attraction. So in my brain, it's, oh, she's so pretty. I wish I could just be just like her. And I didn't know that that was attraction, but all of a sudden I realized that, oh, I, oh, I can feel attracted and I'm attracted to boys and I'm attracted to girls. Oh my goodness. Sinful. Just all of that just dumped on me within the course of a couple months. It was, it was a, it was a mind blower. Let me tell you. I'm sure it was. So when it comes to, when it comes to rules, so say you found this perfect person that, that meets all your right social class wants the same things as you, but you can't touch, you can't be alone together. How do you form a real bond of intimacy with this person, with somebody? Well, you talk a lot and uh, you can't touch, but there's always a optical intercourse, otherwise known as uh, making eye babies. What is, what is optical intercourse? <laughs> so uh, at Hiles Anderson specifically. I, I, I'm not sure I want to know that this sounds <laughs> horrible. It's not that bad. You'll be okay, I promise. So there's a room just off the lobby, and it's especially for dating couples. It's always chaperoned. It's called the dating lobby. And it looks like uh, the lobby of a hotel building, maybe. So it's like couches and love seats and little uh, stuffed chairs and some chairs and tables set in little clumps all together throughout the room. The, the rule book would call it the dating lobby, but people actually call it the drool pool. Uh, It's called the drool pool because on any given evening, you can walk through and see the room almost silent. Every chair and couch is full of dating couples, all of whom are sitting at least six inches apart, all of whom are staring deeply into each other's eyes. Uh, (laughs) I feel like I'm traumatized. For how long? Hours, dude. Hours. Oh, no. That's so weird. That's so gross. That's worse than what I thought it was going to be. Really? Yes. I mean, they're just sitting there looking at each other. No, but like, like just sitting there staring deeply into each other. Oh, no. Yeah, you will literally see people like sitting, facing each other close but not touching they're staring into each other's eyes with their faces as close as they can get like without getting yelled at for almost touching and they're staring in each other's eyes like i like you i like you too that's i like you i like you too and that's what you hear walking through stop it okay i'll stop i'll stop how are they okay how are they how is that okay but like you know giving a visit yeah, I mean, I mean that should be clear. Like you're not touching; you're just grossing out the. That's, the immediate that's so <laughs> much worse than anything. Oh, that's oh, that's the worst. It's just it's weird oh. for me to hear you have such a reaction to it because that was normal life for me. No, that's so bad. That's, <laughs> so uh, that's yeah, so, the worst thing that I've ever heard. Really. 
Oh, oh my go- goodness. Oh. I, I am I am now adding to my deep dive internet internet to-do list. I'm gonna try to find you footage from the dating lobby. Uh, I'm not sure I want that. <laughs> Well, so uh, so just just for the record, Hiles Anderson is usually called Eye Babies or Making Eye Babies. Other Christian colleges are are more of a fan of the optical intercourse term. Optical intercourse. But yeah, that's a th- those are your options, and that's how you date. That sounds like something else, and the thing that it sounds like, I feel like is that is true. Really? That it does, it does sound like something pretty terrifying. Yeah. But it sounds like you're a little more scared of <laughs> No, man. Ooh, that's oh, that that's nasty. You guys are freaky. Well, oh, when we is, get ugh. when we get 10,000 subscribers, we will fly you to Hammond, Indiana and make you walk through the drill pool with a GoPro. They're not going to let me on that campus. Let's be real. Oh, sure they will. I know how to get on campus. They're going to take one look at me and be like, that, like, he does not belong here. Eh, we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I'll just make you, maybe I'll just make you watch 10 seconds of a video. Like we talked about in this, uh, in this episode, I'm not going to tell anybody that random hookups are right for them. And I'm not going to tell anybody that they need to wait for marriage, you know, even or even wait until they're in like a committed relationship, right? Like that's not what we want to do here. So like if you decide that you want your first kiss to be on your wedding day, we fully support you and your decision to and your right to make that decision for yourself because bodily autonomy is a human right. And when somebody else makes that choice for you, that's them taking away your freedom and taking away your autonomy. And every person has a right to choose what they want to do and with whom and when, of course, assuming that all parties are consenting and willing. And never mind sex, just like the slightest bit of physical contact is like punishable through some draconian crime. That's an infringement on your bodily autonomy, right? In reference to what we spoke about in the first episode with the bite model. Like exercising control over somebody's romantic life is an example of exercising both like behavior control and thought control and emotion control. So I know that like we're joking here about how ridiculous a lot of this stuff is on the podcast because let's be real, this optical intercourse or eye babies or whatever is pretty ridiculous and super <laughs> gross. But the reality is that this stuff is far more insidious than just strict rules and trying to find like little loopholes in the rules that'll get you like a little touch here and there. Yeah, I feel like that's what we're always saying is is if if you feel like God is speaking to you and this is what God wants you to personally do, go for it. If you've just made a decision on your own outside of religious reasons that you want to live your life a certain way, go for it. You're great. That's that's fine. That's absolutely your right to do that. And nobody can tell you that you can't or that you shouldn't. It is. Yeah. But it is also equally not okay for someone else to take control over your behavior to this kind of level. No, it's just wrong. It's just wrong, but at least it's funny. I'm glad you experienced it and not me. (laughs) I know that's a horrible thing to say, but I'm glad that wasn't me. I wouldn't have been able to handle it. Well, Um, I mean, you may want to cut this out and you may not, but why do you think that God slash the universe slash karma, like, why do you think that I'm the one who experienced that? 
don't you think that somewhere either either god or or whatever or my own spirit is is watching out for me and you know i was able to get through it i was able to not only survive but get out and then find a way to tell my story and hopefully be helpful to other people that's quite uplifting for you to say you know you know i think i've just learned to live with it there i wasn't always like this i was mad i was hurt i was destroyed getting out of the ifb but now i feel like you know you can you can say it's god you can say it's karma or the universe you can say that it's the strength of my own spirit but whatever it was I'm here. I'm okay. I can talk about it and I can joke about it. And so it turned out okay that I was the one I I'm glad too, that I'm the one who experienced it and not you. Yeah. I would not have been able to handle it. And I was, and now here we are laughing about it. (laughs) And on that note, I think that it's a good time to transition to this episode's homework section. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Gavrielle here. If you enjoy the Leaving Eden podcast, head over to our Facebook group, Eden Exodus, where you can talk to other fans, ask us questions, and share memes. That's facebook.com slash Eden Exodus. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Leaving Eden podcast, and you'll get access to extended and uncensored episodes. You can also support our show by recommending it to your family and your friends. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. And now, back to the show. And on that note, I think that it's a good time to transition to this episode's homework section, in which I assign Sadie a piece of pop culture to consume, usually something iconic or ubiquitous that she would have missed out on growing up in a cult for 22 years of her life. And this week, I picked a big one. This episode, I had Sadie watch the classic 2001 DreamWorks animated comedy Shrek. And I think that last episode, we brought up the cultural impact of this movie, at least for me. But like for kids my age, it was huge. It had like the perfect blend of potty humor, like accessible cultural references, and really like heartfelt and wholesome messaging. So I totally believed you when you told me about like the cultural impact of Shrek. But as soon as I started watching it today, which is when I planned and prepared to watch this movie, I immediately experienced that for myself. So you know that my husband is currently working from home. 
because of coronavirus. So he would come out of the office to get get coffee or whatever. And he noticed what I was watching and he immediately started quoting the movie back to me. Oh, yeah. Like he's quoting it along with the movie on the screen and he goes back in the office and does more work and he comes back out 20 minutes later and he's like, you know what else has layers? Parfaits have layers. You ever met somebody who didn't like parfaits? <laughs> and he's just animatedly quoting it back to me. And he wasn't a small child either. Like when this movie came out, he's a bit older than us. He would have been 14 in, in 2001. I was like seven or eight when this movie came out. I remember we went to, I went to go see it in the theaters. It was so funny. I laughed so hard and I didn't even get half the jokes, right? Because I was a kid, I didn't understand half of the references that they were making to stuff, but it was still funny. So here's a question. Do you think that there, I thought I saw some Princess Bride references in there. Do you think there were? Oh, I'm sure. There's no way that there weren't Princess Bride references. Like Lord Farquaad looks a lot like um, Prince Humperdinck in The Princess Bride. And then also Fiona uses almost the same line asking the priest to like hurry up the wedding. Yeah, no, that was that was totally a reference to that. And I actually just watched the movie again yesterday to to catch up on it to the way that they were done was really smart because like a lot of the cultural references are heavily fairy tale based. So it's accessible and appropriate for children. But also what was disturbing was the gingerbread man. They're oh, yeah. waterboarding the gingerbread man. But yeah, Lord Farquaad is is like he's a bad guy. Like when we're first introduced to him. You know, he's like torturing the gingerbread man. I know. I was so I was almost shocked by that. I was, oh my goodness, that's really sad. Yeah, he's like, eat me. Like <laughs> Yeah. Or, um, and I was not I was the buttons, not the gumdrop buttons. <laughs> that so that's a, that is one of the other lines that Jonathan quoted to me as well. Yeah. But, um, so um I was surprised by how dark, like there was definitely some dark stuff in there. Did you see when they were showing Lord Farquaad in that scene when he was sitting in his bed and like rewinding the mirror back and forth to show like, show me the, the princess, show me the princess. They had the, the bear rug that had the mama bear like skinned and made into a rug Aww. on his floor. Yeah. That was. Yeah. Like, there, there are a lot of like little dark details and. I did not notice that as a kid, but like now I watch it, I'm like, whoa, that's. I kind of feel like I, I might watch it again tonight while it's still rented. I highly um, recommend it. It's so, uh, there's so know, many details. Did you notice though, like why this is such a perfect homework for this episode? Like, did you catch what I caught? What? What, what are you referring to specifically? Yeah. So right after Shrek re uh, rescues Fiona from the dragon, they like they, they finally get outside and she's trying to get him to like take off, like take off your helmet. I want to see who just rescued me. Yeah. Okay. So he says, no, I'm not your type. And she comes back. Of course you are. You're my rescuer. And that goes like exactly back to what I was saying about, you know, like the IFB teaching that women are searching for security because she's she's been told that the guy who rescues her is the guy she's supposed to be in love with. So she just assumes that, like, of course, you're my type. Of course, like, you're my rescuer. That's the person I'm supposed to fall in love with. But that was also to do with that she had the curse on her and the... Right. I just felt yeah. like her, her, like, naivety and her, her assumption that everything was going to go exactly the way that she had always been told or always planned that it was going to go. That was echoey of, of being a, a young person in the IFB to me. 
I, I like I like this movie. They still had because there was all sorts of jokes that kids would get, but they also put those jokes in for the parents. You know, like they had the 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 jokes about oh Lord Farquaad, maybe he's compensating for something. Yes. Oh, I can't remember what the quote was. Never mind. Men of of Farquaad's uh, caliber are in short supply. Men of yeah, men of his stature are in short supply. But no, I'm I'm really glad I watched that. And I think every time I I go to do homework, I'm like, okay, gotta do the homework. Uh, and then I watch it and I love it. So you must you must have a handle on what what I'm really gonna love. It's all on like iconic stuff, basically stuff that's universally acclaimed. But, like I want to talk about some of the character development that was in this movie because it was pretty big. It was it was pretty huge. Like Shrek changes pretty drastically as a character. It has to like make you wonder. Like at the beginning of the movie, we get the sense Shrek is just a deeply persecuted person for no other reason than him being big and green. So what what does that sort of persecution do to a person? Yeah, and it made him. I think he had just given up. Yeah, he'd totally given up. He had given up on the idea of like, oh, this is just how it is. This is how everybody feels about me. There is no reason for me to try to change it. It's a lost cause. It's better for me to just be by myself where nobody can hurt me. And it's not even about like, oh, I'd given up on romance. He'd given up on the idea of having friends. Because like, what did it take for Shrek to befriend Donkey? Yeah, several instances of life saving and grand yeah. quest having. Yeah, and and like at the beginning, basically you tried to scare Donkey away, and Donkey's like, "You need some Tic Tacs. Like your breath stinks. <laughs> like, like I'm not afraid of you. I want to hang out with you. You seem all right." Like, and Shrek's like, "Really? Like, what's wrong with you? Like that was <laughs> that was his reaction, right? Because the assumption is that everybody hates him and everyone is scared of him. Yeah, but not this this weird talking donkey that's played by Eddie Murphy." Uh, <laughs> And so, you know, I mean, it just goes to show, like, you know, choose people who choose you and you'll be successful and you'll be happy. But like, what does like what does it take to close to open up somebody's heart after they've been closed off for so long? I think, you know, just in my experience, it takes a it takes a change of heart because a change of mind is often not enough to really get somebody's actions to change. Just. Uh, something academic or something that, you know, just logical isn't usually, or I don't think it's usually enough to, to affect a change that big in somebody. I think it's, it's a change of heart, which is a really different thing. And it was a really sweet thing to see like in a kid's movie portrayed really nicely. I thought. Right. Because, you know, it just basically goes to show everyone is deserving of love and beauty is more than skin deep, even if you're a princess or if you're an ogre or if you're a talking donkey or if you're a dragon. <laughs> yeah, and I think I kind of assumed that the the beauty is more than skin deep thing was going to be played in this movie. Like, I kind of assumed off the top, like, oh, this is probably where they're going with this. That's that's a basic theme that you can get in a lot of kids movies, you know, but it's in this this movie did it better than than most movies, I think. Yeah, the one part that really got to me, though, um, so it's it's the day that was supposed to be Fiona and Lord Farquaad's wedding, and the sun has gone down, so she changed into an ogre, freaked everybody out, he got eaten by the dragon, and uh, she and Shrek finally kiss, and it's supposed to be breaking the curse, 
right? Like once you have true love's kiss, the curse is going to break. And you get this this image of all these sparklies around Fiona. She's lifted up off the floor and there's like a magical, it looks like it's going to be like a transformation sequence. Yeah, like in Beauty and the Beast. She's like put back down on the floor. And what went through my mind is, oh no, it changed her back into the princess. That's just a negative it, I really, I really thought they were going to turn her back into the the beautiful human princess, and I was so disappointed for a minute, and then they proved me wrong, and it was it was so much better that way. I have to say though, my favorite couple out of this movie was Donkey and Dragon. Okay, they were they were cute. The first interaction that they had, I thought Donkey was just flirting with the dragon to like save their lives. Right. Dragon is being, Dragon has needs, you know, how would you feel to be like, okay, well, you got to be locked up in this tower guarding this princess, like, you can't go out there and find like a handsome man dragon, or another lady dragon, if that's your, if that's your, if that's the way you swing, that's your you know? Right, well, I mean, it was, I thought, I thought it was really sweet that they had that come back, and I thought the whole relationship between the two of them was just portrayed so cute. Oh, yeah, it was sweet. Um, and the Lady Dragon's lipstick. I loved that. Yeah. I love that little... Girl that little dragon. <laughs> I yeah, it. I thought that little touch was just extra adorable. Uh, I've seen this movie, like, probably hundreds of times. Uh, and now I've seen it once. Yeah, I'd highly recommend Shrek 2. Shrek 2 was quite good as well. Okay. Well, um, speaking of homework, I sent you a, what I can only refer to as a dossier last week. Oh my God. I started, I started through it. I've read a couple of articles and I started one of the docs. Okay. My best guess is that's about 10 hours worth of material. Does that sound right to you? 10 hours. Yeah, that sounds about right. So what we wanted to do was we wanted to talk about this because we're going to do a five episode series right yes that's going to really go into a lot of the dirty details about the ifb not just like oh well this is how they make you dress and this is their rules for dating like this is their history this is what crimes the people who were in charge committed this is the abuses that they committed yeah this is specific things that happened um, I think the earliest things we're going to talk about um, are within five or five or eight years of when I was born. Um, and then the most recent thing we're going to talk about is um, things that happened in 2013 and things that are ongoing. So we're going to talk about a lot of the biggest scandals in recent history. And things that you continually have a part of now. Right. Things that I either lived through and remember or things that happened shortly before I was born that it absolutely had a profound influence on the way I was raised. Things that I heard about as a little child. So these are this is like the framework of my life when it comes to fundy history and fundy scandals. This is this is like the framework because these things, uh, the ones that I didn't live through myself in a very personal way these things shaped the way that the IFB functioned when I was born into it. Right. Yeah. And so like it involves like murder, mind control, extramarital affairs, all this dirty, dirty stuff. Three ways with Jesus. Three ways with Jesus. Yeah. So like 
the the college that you went to was called Hiles Anderson College, and that was named for this man, Jack Hiles. Yes, Jack. He was the pastor of First Baptist Church of Hammond. And so our episode next week is going to be heavily focused on Jack Hiles. Yeah, so we're going to we're going to start by talking about uh, Jack Hiles and then we're going to move on through uh, a couple of related people to, to lay out this this framework. And uh, we're going to call it the first family of fundamentalism series. We're really excited to do this because this is a huge, a huge undertaking. Yeah, it's it's been it's been a lot of research and I think we didn't want to do it until we felt like we had a decent handle on everything that needed to be said and, and being as accurate with details as we can. Yeah. Because you know, like we said in, in like we say at the the beginning, if uh if somebody's just a regular person, we've changed their names because we don't want to invade anybody's privacy on this podcast. Again, these are some episodes where we're going to be using real names of people who are people who are public figures. Um, These are, these are, we're going to be telling real stories about real people and we want to be as accurate as we possibly can. Yeah. And so that's why we've got to do all this research and that's why we're stretching it out into five episodes because glossing over anything would just be a bad decision. It would just be, it, it would not be doing justice to the actual seriousness of what's happened here. Yeah. So, uh, next week, I think we'll be getting a start on that. This has been the Leaving Eden podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, Facebook and Instagram are Leaving Eden Podcast, and uh, Twitter is at Leaving Eden Pod. Um, I'm Gavriel Hakoen. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at G A V R I E L H A C O H E N. I'm Sadie Carpenter. You can find me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music or on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie. If you do have any uh, specific questions, funny or serious, that you want to ask me, ask us, ask about um, different different things that I've experienced, you can send us an email. What's that email address? Uh, that is leavingedenpods at gmail.com. Yeah, we would uh, love to hear from you. Yeah, so um, anyway, until next time, uh, hope to hear you guys soon. And this has been the Leaving Eden Podcast. Thank you and have a nice day. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.